Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field, to those places where you have those aha moments and mastermind meetings that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sometimes you may hear a bird chirping in the background or a car driving by, a little bit of ambient noise from good-natured laughter at the next table in the cafe. Yes, we have recorded episodes from cigar shops and coffee shops and tea houses. Today, I'm sitting out on my balcony here in beautiful Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in in America. Uh, I don't know how my noise cancellation is working. It's possible you hear the neighbor's air conditioner. I don't know. But the point is, is you're likely to be sitting out on your balcony, hearing that gentle hum of the neighbor's air conditioner when you're having that epiphany that changes everything for you. I don't have a $25,000 high-quality Hollywood studio with soundproof walls and things like that, nor am I going to get one, nor do I suggest you get one. The beauty of podcasting is it's meta-marketing, and it's about how we create connections and we humanize each other. So Speaking of mastermind conversations, this is one that I've been on the edge of my seat for ever since we booked it about six weeks ago. And this gentleman is somebody who has a message that I can't wait for you to hear because the moment I saw this, the moment he uh, he was introduced to me through his agents, I said, get me this guest. His name is Justin Skinner. Uh, just tell you very briefly, he's a farm-raised entrepreneur, I'm a country boy myself, and an author from the great Midwest. He lives in Springfield, Missouri with his beautiful wife, Kendra, and their little dog, Daisy. He enjoys traveling with Kendra, playing pickleball, pickleball is a big thing these days, abstract art, and most anything active. He's going to tell you about his business and his journey in just a moment, but let me just tell you what he's going to be telling us about today. It's about using failures as a gift. So I have a few I have a few anecdotes I'm going to contribute to this, but for now, Justin Skinner, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, what an intro! I I love that. I love your energy. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, I have looked over some of the stuff you do, and I'm so much in awe. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here in your presence. And this is my show. Before we get into this, because you have some points you you gave us in the green room that you want us to cover, and. There's, and this is really a topic that is very resonant with me. What we want to do is take a step back. I have your general bio here. I looked up your website and things like that. But tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what has actually brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. 
Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Um, I'll go pretty for pretty far back, but honestly, I feel like the overall uh, general message of of me is I'm just made up of a bunch of good people around me that have poured into me. So from the time I was little, I grew up on a farm, like like you mentioned in the intro, and you know had two amazing parents, had amazing grandparents that really instilled in me hard work um, in an early age. And uh, I think they also kind of gave me this like perimeter to fail in, if you will, where uh, I I did a lot of dumb things when I was a kid, but my parents never called me dumb. They never said I was a bad kid. They just said, hey, you know what? Try again, do better. I think that really made a difference. And then uh, I think that led to, you know, sports and I played baseball, which uh, obviously you got to deal with a lot of failure in baseball. Yeah. Um, but even beyond that, uh, one, getting out of, of college, I, I really wanted to play professionally. I thought it was lining up that way. And uh, long story short, it didn't wind up happening. Thought I was going to get drafted. Didn't happen. And it was pretty crushing. I mean, it's crushing to chase something for 15 years and then, you know, have your dreams really kind of shattered on one day uh, and kind of thrown to the wayside, honestly. So you, it's another moment where I just, I had to deal with failure. And I know all these moments led up to other things, you know, fast forward, I'd, I was probably bitter for a couple of years, to be completely honest. Uh, and then I went to the working world and actually got fired uh, twice in the working world. So again, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like, what, what, what is made for me? It's like, I'm missing all these things. And so again, I'm faced with what do I do with failure? What do I do with firings? Um, and again, I think I just had some amazing people around me. My wife helped me a lot um, through this, but just had the kind of the mindset to just keep pushing forward and, and kind of flip failures on its head and think, you know, well, what can I learn? What did I uh, not do right in this situation? And how can, how can I do it better in the future? So uh, in short, uh, that's kind of my life, my journey to, uh, to the book and kind of what led to, to writing the book professional failure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that's great. And normally in podcasting, we don't like start by saying, Tell us about your stuff you want to sell. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly you're here because you want to you know, expand the market for your book, Professional Failure. Uh, tell us a bit about that book. We got to start there because I yeah. am I uh, am buying this book today and yeah. I'm adding it to my reading list. I, I, I just I, I and, I and I buy a lot of the books that are we have a lot of guests on the show and also my other podcasts and a lot of them have books I eventually end up buying most of them but this yeah. is one of those ones where it's like give me that book and I cannot wait wait to get through my latest batch of client deliverables and stuff for my own business to get my next break so I can fire up a stogie or two and dive the hell in so I love it. Tell us a little bit about this book and this message of professional yeah. failure. Yeah, no, I love it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for buying it. And honestly, I'd love to just send you a copy. You don't have to buy it. So uh, maybe too we, late. Can, we can work that. Okay. Too, okay, too, it's too, too late. late. I, I, actually, I actually went to Kindle while I was uh, saying that. Okay, good, good. Perfect. Um, well, yeah. So the book kind of arose honestly out of, uh, I, I really didn't write in college. I actually, I would get uh, assigned, you know, I get assignments in college to write and I just load them. I could, I could hardly write a one page, uh, essay in college. Yeah. So I, I just, that's just who I was is what I, where I was at. Uh, but I actually went up writing an article. My wife and I went through, we're still going through it through pretty difficult time with infertility. 
So yeah. I had a friend approach me and say, Hey, will you write an article, just like a raw article about infertility, what you guys are going through? So I did, and it kind of triggered this love of writing within me, honestly. Um, and so that led to, I just, I kept journaling and then I kept writing and I was actually in a writer's group for a little bit just to kind of feel it out. And then I just set a goal to just write every day and see what formed. And, <laughs> and I felt like the more I wrote, the more I realized, man, I, number one, I mess up all the time. I mess up yeah. daily, but it's, it's something I just don't beat myself up over. And, and I think again, that goes back to, to people showing me the way when I was growing up. Um, but I screw up a lot. I just tend to maybe overlook it. And so the more I wrote about it, I'm like, man, how can I maybe show people like when I fail, I kind of just laugh sometimes, or I laugh at myself. What are the, what are the things that go into this failing forward? So I just started writing and uh, it kind of formed. And obviously I studied other people and entrepreneurs are really good at this. And uh, obviously I wasn't the first to write about this, but I just loved, and I was kind of, uh, you mentioned in the intro too, about humanizing. I just love how failure humanizes people because we're all imperfect. We all do dumb things. And if we, instead of just suppressing it and saying we're all perfect, uh, what if we can come out and say, Hey, I messed up here. Uh, don't do this. How about, you know, try this instead. This is what I learned. So I really tried to lean into that and again, wrote the book. And then I actually sat on it. Uh, I had an editor do it. And even after that, I'm like, do I release this? Do I really want to be that, you know, vulnerable or raw, uh, and then I decided with encouragement from, you know, my wife and some other people that, that knew about it, they said, you know, you need to do it, released it. And, uh, and here we are. So uh, overall, the message honestly is, is about, um, humility, grace, and curiosity. If you can have those three, three things, you really can make, make it through failure, uh, without, you know, carrying these heavy, heavy failures and feeling like, you know, the weight, weight of the world's on your shoulders. Um, I really do think failures can be a catalyst for change for good for people. You just have to really uh, kind of get the right formula uh, to work through those. Okay. You know, it's interesting. See, I'm a podcast host and you're a podcast host too. Yeah. You're the host of the Professional Failure Podcast. Uh, uh, also on my list of things to check out and maybe I can return a favor to you at some point. Absolutely. So as podcast hosts, you and I are the voice of our audience. As I say to my people all the time, I am your voice. And here's what I mean by that. I will sometimes tell stories about things that have happened in my life and things that I've done that were not exactly my finest hour. Yeah. Uh, I've told this one many times before. I'm not going to go through the whole thing here. But there was that time that I got irritated uh, by the manager of my bank, and I told her to her face to go fuck herself. Uh, there's a reason why I did that. Uh, but uh, And I realized afterwards, like, oh, um, she had no idea what she was saying. She didn't realize who I was and why I would have a reason to be upset with what she just offered me. So I, mm -hmm. so I came back in the, so I came back and see what it, I'll, I'll tell you what it was basically is um, this bank um, had uh, begged me to apply for a credit card. And mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, I'll apply for a credit card because I just moved across country. I had some living in a new town expenses. I thought I could float for 90 days. So yeah, I'll get a credit card, drop those expenses on it, pay it off and um, get more, you know, all the good stuff that a paid off credit card gets you. And they put me through the absolute ringer in terms of the, the, the shit they gave me in terms of the application process. And then, and, and then I was told, oh yeah, the card's approved. So I came in and I was ready to do the final piece. And then, and then the representative said, oh, um, well, there, uh, the un this other underwriter just got involved, and she said you're not approved. 
And um, and I said, this, this is absolutely wrong. Like, who, who does she think she is? Uh, this is approved. Uh, where, where, where is she coming in all of a sudden? And then I and I and I and I said, well, can I speak with this underwriter? And the bank rep said, uh, no, you can't. And I said, oh, so you're going to let her throw me under the bus? Well, <laughs> guess what's coming to you? And long story short, it ended up with this whole thing, and I ended up speaking with the manager of that branch. So fast forward a few months, and the same manager who I'd spoken on the telephone with noticed that I'd come into the, come into the, the bank, and I had uh, deposited a check where my signature was on both sides of the check. Now, as entrepreneurs, we know what that means. That means we took either a paycheck or a distribution out of our company's personal income. So she knew enough to say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. Uh, if you, uh, uh, you know, we have, uh, we offer lines of credit and small business loans. And, and I'm thinking, okay. Now I knew she was, I knew she was a manager and I knew she was that person I spoke with. And then she said, well, you know, and I said, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't had much luck with this. And she said, she said, well, our underwriters are great. And I'm sure, and, I, and as soon as she said underwriters, I said, go fuck yourself and walked out. <laughs> So then I then I was three fourths of the way to my car and I came back and I because I, I, I realized you know I don't think she really deserved that and that probably wasn't the right thing for me to say so I went in I said I said look look I I, I know what I just said I'm sorry about that and I think I know what happened here um, you know who I am but you're not but you don't have any way of making the connection between my face and the conversation we already had. And the last conversation we had was about how your underwriters are such assholes. So <laughs> that's why I said that. It just didn't occur to me in the heat of the moment that you didn't know my face to my name. So I'm really sorry about that. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. And uh, if I had known that you were that person, I never would have suggested that because I know that's a sore spot with you. Please accept my apology. Mm -hmm. So the reason I tell that story is real simple. A lot of us despite our efforts to be the best people we can have those moments where we commit social faux pas or we're just nasty when we don't, when we don't mean to be and shouldn't be uh, because of societal pressure that tells you you're a bad person and you deserve to be punished when that happens to you. People will keep that inside. They won't be able to express it. They won't be able to talk it out. So uh, when they see us as people like you and me, where we can celebrate our failures, we can celebrate our mistakes without themselves, our listeners having to come out and say, oh, yeah, let me tell you about this one time that uh, I just kicked this guy or what have you. Yeah. Uh, they can say themselves, oh, oh, just Justin Skinner. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know all about failure. This guy gets me. So yeah, without having that opening. They were trapped being held in by societal expectations where they didn't have the opportunity to properly and naturally process what they had done or what had happened to them and gain the learning and experience from it that makes them better at what they do. Yeah. So now they can stand beside you and say, oh, this guy gets it. And they can have that journey internally because now they have somebody they know who understands them. So yes. I can tell this, I can tell this story. And the reason I share it is because the lesson is, is that you always have the opportunity to have continuous growth. You're going to mm -hmm. continue to have learning lessons when you least expect them. And in the future, when I run into somebody and they say something to me, them thinking, why would they say this to me? To pause 
and say, do they know who I am? So if I have the chance to do that whole scenario over again, rather than just say that to that bank manager and storm out, I would have said, um, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate the offer, but uh, I'm not really sure if you quite know who I am. We have spoken before, and this is what it was about. So, yeah, I don't think I want anything to do with your underwriters, but appreciate the offer. And uh, mm-hmm. and without me having to do um, service recovery and uh, and uh, relationship rebuilding, uh, she could have said, oh, yeah, I, I got you. And that yeah. would have been the end of it. So in the future, if that happens, I now have the tools that I didn't have before as a result of that. And because I can express that, I had the opportunity to process that learning journey. For sure. Yeah. And I love that story too, because it's, I think it's a great example of humility because you, you have to, after that happens, you have to come back, you're in the, you're in the parking lot and you have to have humility to walk back in through the door, take time and say, look, I messed up. I'm sorry, please accept my forgiveness. Yeah. And that takes a lot. Honestly, that's really hard sometimes. And then the other thing that I think is interesting that came to mind was there are times where I know what to do and like, I know what the right steps are and I'm just frustrated and I still mess up and like, I yeah. continually mess up. But I think that's where grace comes in. It's like, you just, you have to give yourself grace, I think above, you know, almost anything. And it, it almost makes me think of, I, I forget who said it exactly, but basically they said, you know, you need to be very disciplined on yourself, but very lenient on other people. I think it works the same way with, with grace too. Like, obviously you want to have grace for other people, but I do think you have to have like, a double amount of grace for yourself when yeah. working through these things because we all we, like we screw up there are things that i screw up multiple times like within a week that i'm like man i know the right thing to do i just missed it again and hopefully yeah. there's that little like one percent growth along the way but no i i love that story and i i can i can kind of imagine the girl's face honestly after you say that that i'm sure she was pretty pretty shocked yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it, I'm thinking what she she just see what happened in the news about our bank. I, I don't know. But see, yeah, and there, another point I wanted to make, and this is actually this is something that just occurred to me right now. So this is the power, this is the power of the mastermind. So now they say that when you make an apology, uh the, the apology ceases to mean anything as soon as you say the word but, mm-hmm. meaning I'm sorry, but here's why I think I was justified in doing it. So I didn't, I know I did not use the word, but I, so I wasn't trying to excuse my behavior in any way. So uh, I said, you know, uh, yeah, I, I know what I said a few minutes ago. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry about that. I, uh, he, here, here's the reason why. So yeah. I wasn't asking her to give me a pass because I felt that I was justified and I wasn't trying to justify myself. I avoided the word, but I, I wasn't excusing or qualifying. I was just, providing the full range of the context so that she could understand the reasons that I had that spontaneous reaction and also see that I thought it through and recognized why I shouldn't have approached it that way. So in a way, it was actually enhancing it because I could have gone and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'm a bad, awful person. But it's like, yeah, okay. Until the next time you swear at me. Okay. Yeah. 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 But yeah, but yeah, but when you can, but when you can add context rather than justification, that's the distinction. Context rather than justification, then yeah. it make then it makes the amends more powerful, more meaningful, and more believable. 
That's good. Yeah, that's the context is good. And that's it takes curiosity from whoever's listening to to want to hear that context too, and not just they have to forgive you in order to hear it too. So I love that. That's really good. Yeah. So what happens to a lot of people when they're kids? Um, they do something wrong and uh and uh you know, and then you know, the mom or the dad or the parent or grandparent, or whatever, say say, Justin, mm-hmm. say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, and you'll never do it again. I'll mm-hmm. never do it again. But mm-hmm. what in that formula had anything to do with helping you learn and grow from the experience? Not nothing. Exactly. It was just, it was just a matter yeah. of you're wrong and don't do it again. Yeah. And 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 then and then they make you repeat that to to beat you into compliance. Well, you know, I you can't say I'll never do that again because you don't know that you'll never do it again. You might do it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's no. that, like that story I told you. That was spontaneous. I wasn't going into that bank looking to pick a fight. I was looking to go into that bank and deposit a check and say thanks. Have a nice day. Yeah, no, it's funny how things can trigger you sometimes yeah. too. But but what you just said about that it reminds me too of, of I'm not a parent, but I still believe I can learn from parents and I can yeah. see other things. But one thing that I see over and over that that really um, is disappointing sometimes is when they tell a kid to do something and the answer back and like, why do I have to do this? It's because I said so. I just think that's such a, like, uh, I don't know, a curiosity stopper. Mm-hmm. So like there are plenty of moments and I know kids can be annoying with the amount of times they ask why I'm not saying that's a reason, but just that answer, because I said so really um, just, I feel like hampers a, ch- a child's development. Like you said, well, okay, well, if I say this, I'm never going to do this again. Well, now I'm a liar. Cause I may do it again tomorrow. It's, I mean, I'm a bad kid. I, I just think it opens the door um, to so many things where a kid's mind can go. Uh, and kids minds are fragile, man, they're fragile and they're like so moldable. So I do think at the stage of a kid, uh, it is very important to teach them that like, you know what, you're going to mess up. It's okay. Uh, you're not a bad kid, but you know what, let's try and do better next time. Like, like let's, let's try and do better for, for other people. I, I don't think there's much harm in, in teaching kids that. No, 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 not, not at all. And what I, and I think this is actually related to this topic of failure is we uh you know i'm not sure exactly what generation you consider yourself to be in um i know that uh, according to the year i was born i was um at the tail end of gen x right before we got into that whole millennial thing so yeah. um uh, i have my friend, no idea what i am to be yeah, I'm 85 so what, whatever 85. that puts me you're, you're not you're nine years behind me you're a millennial uh okay. so uh but see you're a different type of your type of millennial than the almost millennial I am. Uh, my friend Brad Zollis, the author of uh, Liquid Leadership, uh, told uh, explained to me that I'm actually what's known as a cusper, uh, which means I'm on that tail end of Gen X, where I basically had the millennial experience, but just a couple years later, chronologically, than most millennials. So where I'm going with this is uh, the millennials were really the first generation to have regular and consistent access to high-speed internet at a mm-hmm. point where the internet had gathered a lot of information through search engines. So yeah. I had that same experience just for me. It wasn't when I was growing up. It's when I was in college. So that's what that's yeah. what we mean by I had the same experience. It was just a couple of years later chronologically. Yeah. Starting with the millennials and working down to newer generations, this is the first batch of folks who have had access to knowledge, resources, and support networks that enable them to identify uh, patterns and cycles in 
generational behavior in families and society, note which ones are toxic or unhelpful and come up with new paradigms to do things better. Whereas before that, generation after generation, generation after generation, the I told you so was yeah. that previous generation. And, and usually the thinking behind that from what I've experienced with speaking with folks is, um, yeah, there actually is a reason why I'm telling my kid to do that. But uh, based on how I was raised and how all my friends were raised, how my brothers and sisters were raised by our parents, um, my kid isn't old enough to understand the reasons why. For now, I just need them to trust me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, I, I don't know if I should go here, but this is, I don't know where you're at, like faith wise, but this is my biggest issue with religion, quote unquote, sometimes yeah. is that even like reading about the old religion, so many times a priest will come out and be like, uh, I'm the only way to get to God. You have to come through me or like, you have to do this because I said so. And there's no way to double check what they're saying. It's like, they have the scrolls, they have whatever. So basically you have to do what they say. That to me is the biggest issue. I don't know if we have some of those threads still in our society. Like, yeah, you need to do this because I'm in power. Not like, Hey, let's do this because this is the right thing. We've done it 10 times the wrong way. Here's the right way to do it. This is why we do it this way. To me, that's a simple explanation instead of like, well, because I'm in power, you do this because I say so. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I should go there, but it, it made me think of that. Well, no, no, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And with any institution, you're going to have that. I mean, you want to translate that to current day, and this is not a political statement. So you're not getting into religion. I'm not getting into politics. Yeah. This, whole, this whole thing about uh, uh, the shots that we're supposed to take uh, for, for COVID. Uh, I'm yeah. not even calling them vaccinations because there's a debate as to whether or not they're vaccinations. And, yeah. what, I run in, and what I run into is that there's an expectation that you do it because scientists say you're supposed to and who are you to argue with a scientist yeah i have a really i have a really simple response to that if you even if you have a regular doctor and your regular doctor gives you a diagnosis you may go and get a second opinion just to make sure well yeah. if you're supposed to just trust your doctor because they're a doctor and you're not a doctor why would you get a second opinion yeah and, and why question, and, and and why do some doctors, particularly if it's something major, like they're telling you that you have cancer, they may even say to you, you know what? Um, I'm telling you, Justin, you got cancer. Uh, yeah. If you'd like, go get a second opinion just to confirm it for yourself or to see if there's anything that's being missed here. Um, I'm going to be the one to treat you, obviously, because I'm your doctor. But go ahead and get yeah. a second opinion. Or you may think to yourself, wait, my doctor just... My doctor just told me I have hypertension. I don't believe that. I'm going to go see another yeah. doctor and just see if somebody else says it. And if the second doctor tells you you have hypertension, well, then maybe you probably have hypertension. So you'll probably go back to your original doctor and say, exactly. and say, okay, yep, all right, I thought about it. And you don't tell him you got a second opinion or her, you got a second <laughs> opinion. Say, you know, I thought about it. And yeah, you know what? I trust you. I got hypertension. What do we do? Yep. And my thing would be like, Hey, I respect all the work you put in and all the knowledge you have. But my question would be, do I need a degree to ask a question like that? Like I can ask a question without that's, all the ins and outs. That's, there to part, me, of the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. part of the pressure that people are under is like, how dare you question this? Uh, yeah. and, and, and why, why are you, why are you being part of the problem? Uh, yep. and how, yeah. Who do you think you are to, to question science? Well, yeah. And and then and then you see this term settled science, which as soon as I see the term settled silence, 
uh, subtle science. Yeah. Well, it's the idea is to silence people. So I don't think that Freudian slip was completely unintentional. Yeah. But um, but uh, you it's it's to me, you all you have to do is look one layer behind that and see there's some sort of totalitarian or absolutist agenda. Yes. Science by its definition is not settled. I was just like Never. you weren't much of a writer in school. I wasn't yeah. much at science, but there's one thing about science, and I took biology, chemistry, microbiology, and all these other things. There, I, I, I couldn't tell you anything about any of those disciplines of this day, except that they use the, uh, the, uh, that chart to make the episodes of Breaking Bad. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell, but I can tell you that all those disciplines had one thing in common: the scientific method, with yep. its testing of hypotheses, with with control groups and experimental groups, and um, revisiting assumptions. And then once you reach one assumption, you come up with a new assumption and test it against that. Science by its definition, is a form of questioning that is never settled. Yep. So to even even use the term settled science is literally unscientific. Because if if science was actually settled, um, you would be going to your doctor to have him prescribe you cigarettes before you stop off at the malt shop and drink three liters of sugar-loaded coca-cola which may or may not have cocaine in it uh before you go back to your house and put asbestos in the roof and spray your yard with ddt i love it that's such a good example all that <laughs> stuff was considered all that stuff was considered uh in yep. line with science the best practice of science at one point or another and yep. uh, and after you were done with that uh you might pull out your sears catalog and order some heroin complete with yeah. syringe <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so good i'm sorry i took us out on that rabbit trail but Maybe no, 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 actually, this is part of this is part yeah. of why this is the mastermind experience on the show. And also it illustrates the point that, um, you know, you can look at you can look at doctors that recommended cigarettes and the idea of spraying your kids with DDT, which actually was recommended at one point. So crazy. And um, and let's say and let's say uh, let's say, uh, you know, this was actually not in the area you grew up. It might be more the area your parents grew up is when it was recommended to spray your kids with DDT. For all you know, grandpa and grandma took your your mom or your dad and their siblings out in the yard and pointed a hose at them and sprayed them with DDT. Maybe so they crazy. did, maybe they didn't. I'm going to have now, to ask them. Now, looking back, that was a mistake. However, in the context of the time, yeah. it was what they were advised to do. and they were acting on the best information they had available. Going back to the whole thing about generational cycles, mm-hmm. the you know our parents and grandparents. I mean, you can. And this is a journey I've gone through personally. And yes, my parents listen to my podcast and they've heard me say this, so it's mm-hmm. uh, so it's just a reinforcement. Yes, I know that there are some things that they did that were detrimental to my development, and uh, it did cause me a certain level of resentment. And uh, mm-hmm. by being able to embrace that rather than uh, su- then allow myself to be subjected to, uh, you must honor your, you know, whatever the fourth commandment is or whatever it is. See, I know it's one of the commandments. To process that and realize, you know what? Actually, my parents were really good. Um, yeah. They really did care. And mm-hmm. they were going on the best information that they had they tried to get the best knowledge and provide the best resources they were within their own environments in terms of how they were raised and the patterns that came down through their families Mm 
mm-hmm. it wasn't their fault. It yeah. uh, it wasn't anything that I would even say they did wrong. It's just a matter of it's just it's just a matter of that's what they knew at the time. And yeah. uh, and so the only thing that we can do, and this is the, every listener who has resentments about how they grew up or how they were raised or some experience they had in school or at home or something like that, is recognize that rather than try and you know re- hold a trial over the past and try and get mm-hmm. satisfaction here because you never will um yeah. embrace it yeah so you know you, you you talk about embracing failures embrace other people's failures embrace other people's screw-ups embrace others embrace others not getting it right despite their best intentions and having done the best they could to get the best information they could for sure and yeah. use that to create a new paradigm to do things differently. Yeah. And I think that's such a good segue into like mentors, because I, I do talk about mentors in the book, but if you're looking for a perfect mentor, you're never going to find them. And so even though like I, I look at my parents, I think I had a wonderful parents. They yeah. were far, far from perfect. Right. But I know if I dwell on like, well, they didn't do this for me. They didn't teach me about this. They didn't teach me about that. Uh, they're idiots. Then you, I think you lose a lot of opportunity to learn from imperfect people. Yeah. Um, and I think honestly, there are so many imperfect people that have so many good lessons. Yeah. Um, so I think it's super important, especially when you're looking for mentors. Like, I think it's important to have multiple mentors and have people that can teach you in one area about money, one area about podcasting and, and it's not taking away from one or the other. And I know that's hard sometimes it's like, Oh, well, I really admire this person. They're really good at this. And then maybe someone else, your parents are like, well, I do this, I do that. And they're almost jealous in a way, not saying my parents are, but I'm just saying that's something you have to struggle through. But I think it's important to spread out who you learn from and then obviously not not do exactly what someone else does because they're going to have moments of failure too. And hopefully they share that with you and you can see that for what it is, exactly what you're saying, and then better yourself with it. Yeah. Um, here's now, uh, do, you, do you study history? I love history, yeah. Okay, then you may resonate with what I'm about to tell you. Uh, and this has to do with um, dealing with toxic and narcissistic relatives. Um, uh-huh. So you, uh, you know, and, and I've had, and I've had some people in, in my lineage who had those personality traits and some of what they did was damaging to my development. And if I point this out, I get told, Oh no, 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 no. They loved you so much. You see this picture from when you were three years old, how you're sitting on their lap and they're looking at you with that big smile. They loved you. And mm-hmm. I like to remind them that, uh, that Benito Mussolini loved being a grandfather. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he would, he would go gaga when his, uh, when his kids brought their kids up to, uh, via Torlonia and he'd actually like, get down on the floor and play with toys with them and things like that. And it'd, and it'd yeah. spoil them and give them gifts that their parents tried to tell them. I mean, he was like your, he was like your typical jolly grandfather. If you can believe that he was, he was a very multifaceted personality. If you actually look beyond the propaganda and look who the man was and, yeah. uh, and uh, the, some of the grandchildren involved told that same story about, Oh, whenever we went to see, whenever we went to see Nono Benito, Oh, boy, he, he just, he, he would drop to his knees and come down to our level and, and reach out for a big hug. And, and his, and the oldest of these grandsons, Fabrizio, the third count Chiano wrote about this in his book, which was titled when grandpa had, had daddy shot. Whoa. And I bring that up because it shows, wow. 
yeah there can be there can really be two sides to a person and yeah. uh you you can't necessarily discount the one because of the other i mean there's a yep. story of some galactic epic failure there yeah but if you can recognize that there were things going on in that situation that you know influenced mm-hmm. how it went that way and understand that without having to even forgive it or even accept it necessarily but just understand mm-hmm. it then yeah. you can have a more nuanced view and it takes some of the weight off your own shoulders yeah and i think even though the past our past two presidents are such great examples of that because there are things with both trump and biden that people can't stand and yeah. with with those things that they can't stand everything else is discredited it doesn't matter what they say it doesn't matter if what they say is truth it doesn't matter if they have a good point whatever they say is they're idiots or beyond this. And I think that's the part that maybe we're missing recently. Like not everyone is right all the time. And obviously there are people out there that are narcissists and not great people, but there is still something you can learn from them. And I think that's really hard for people to swallow. Uh, but it's something, if you can figure it out and you can learn to almost filter um, and discern what's good, what's not, and what you can hold on to and what you let go of, I just feel like it's almost a life hack. Yeah, yeah. I and, and see, the, the, I mean, I mean, this is the thing. And I've heard this. If um, if we if we refer to our brains as apps, and we yeah. and we spoke of how we could hack our apps that are our brains, we could yeah. probably use so much more of our gray matter. It's just a, it's just a matter of taking something that's already existed and applying contemporary terminology and vocabulary to it. Like, for example, for sure. and and again. I'm I'm putting this in air quotes, not talking about religion. Um, yeah. I myself, um, I was raised Catholic. Um, I don't consider myself Catholic at this point. In fact, I officially renounced the church, but I uh, but I view myself as being Christian. And one of the yeah. things I like to say is um, I had to give up the church to discover Christ. He was there all along. I just didn't see him through all that man-made bullshit. Yeah, I can see Now, that. I look at the Bible, and I believe that all of that stuff actually happened but not mm-hmm. literally the way it was told. Like mm-hmm. I have, I have a theory that um, the thing that's called God is actually an alien overlord and mm-hmm. that Jesus uh, is half was half alien, which explains how he could be crucified. And then three days later, wake up like he had a bad hangover because he had some super alien powers. And then, uh, you know, he was walking with his disciples and he ascended into heaven. Um, I have this vision that, at that moment, a spaceship hovered over and uh, summoned him. And uh, he said, guys, all right, um, my time here is done. Um, it's time for me to ascend back to my homeland. And then uh, and then another message came from the spaceship. He said, dad, give me a second here. And then he said, and he said all right, boys, look, uh, I got I got a bounce now. I'll be back soon. Be good till I get here, which in the Bible became translated as after se- – X number of days he ascended into the heavens, and mm-hmm. we know not the day nor hour of his return. Interest. That's a super interesting uh, theory. Yeah. I don't and, think and, I've and, ever and, heard and, it before, but it's yeah, interesting. And, yeah, and the water into wine thing. Um, uh-huh. That could be an alien power we just stared at and turned into wine. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, or maybe he knew, or maybe he knew something about um, uh, about chemical properties that he knew what to do to the water to add it to, to wine. I mean, so yeah. and. I and actually these ideas I'm sharing were not my ideas. This was actually told to me by somebody else. Yeah. And what it was, it was a scientific explanation for the reality of Christ, saying yeah. 
saying, no, it's not fiction. It's actually very real when you can apply what we know today. So everything I described could have happened, but they simply did not have the vocabulary 2,020 years ago or whatever it was to explain it the way you and I can analyze it today. They didn't know spaceships and chemistry and, uh, and uh, intergalactic stuff. I mean, hell, I mean, they, they thought the world was about 300 miles wide because they didn't travel any further than that. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I I think what would be really interesting, Adam, is if we went through every story of the Bible and you told me what, like what that interpretation was, that would be a very interesting long conversation. But uh, I say all this, I actually, so I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. I love reading C.S. Lewis. I'm actually reading the book Miracles right now by C.S. Lewis. Have you read that before? Uh, Yes. Okay. So I just, it's kind of like, it's, it's twisting my mind in a new way. And one thing that stood out recently in it was, I think I'm about halfway through it was basically where he says like, you know, God could put this like perfect thing in the world. And then once it's in the world, nature takes over and hum- and humans can like twist it and do whatever with it, which I never really thought of before. And he even mentioned the Bible, like the Bible could have been perfect. And, and then, you know, who knows what happened once it was in the world. Um, so it's super interesting to think through that stuff and, and even to have that conversation. But I do think the church um, can struggle with that of like, you know, like testing theories or you hear a theory and like, Oh, that's, that's crazy. Uh, I don't know if, you know, we could talk about that, but then if you really think about, you know, someone new to church coming in and hearing about like, you know, we're washing ourselves in the blood of Christ, that's kind of weird when you really think about it, um, for someone just coming, coming in new to it. So I feel like, uh, there's just a lot of discussions that could, could, could be tested along the way. So, yeah. Now, now there are some folks in organized religion who may hear what I just said and may call me a blasphemer and call for me to ex- be excommunicated and tell me I'm going to hell for daring to profane the name of Christ or something like that. Yeah. And all I'm saying is actually, this is, I'm providing more evidence and more theory that supports the idea that there really is God, which I, I do believe in God. And I do believe in, uh, and I do believe that God sent a messenger, uh, a son, um, an agent. Uh, I believe all that stuff happened. I just don't think it happened literally the way it was written because they simply didn't have the vocabulary. If all, if, uh, if, if the story of Jesus's life happened in today's society, uh, you'd probably have memes about, uh, his dad, uh, saying, (laughs) Hey, go pick up some milk calling down yeah. the spaceship. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And and I think it goes back to just the question thing, like being curious. To me, asking questions is not should not be threatening because if what you're seeking is the truth with questions, the truth can be questioned all it needs to be questioned, and it's still the truth. So to me, there should be no reason not to question anything and everything if you're looking for the truth. Yeah, the best part is, is if you question it, you might actually find out it's valid. Exactly. So no, I if think you, that's a great point. Yeah, so when you follow scientific method and you question what scientists and doctors say, well, what's to say that your own exploration doesn't lead them lead you to agree with them? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, one, like uh, you know, a doctor I know um, who I who I've seen as a patient some a few times, uh, he uh, is he actually suggests that people get the COVID shots, vaccines, mm-hmm. um, whatever they are. And, uh, and, and the way he explains it is he said, look, um, I'm not going to be one of those people that tells you you have to, but mm-hmm. I looked into it myself and based on the science I saw and my experience as a doctor, at worst, this won't hurt you. 
Yeah. At best, it'll help you. And that was based and that was based on his analysis of it. Now, I bet you that he probably got more people to take the shot than those who bullied and bludgeoned. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. So, you know, you send that message. Now, one other thing I like to bring up, um, and then I have one, you know, I have one final question here that I think is going to take most of the uh, rest of our time here together, but it's going to be a great one, is um, one thing I want to bring up about that is, you know, the whole messaging around this vaccination thing, I think, was completely wrong. And here's part of the reason why. You have an estimated 50, 50 million people in the United States alone, me being one of them, who have some level of trypanophobia, which is a fear of hypodermic injections. Yeah. Now, I have a very severe case where if there's an imminence of me receiving a, a vaccination or having blood drawn or something, I'll pass out. Hmm. And it's not something that you power through. It's not something where you just got to grow up and be a man or be a woman. Yeah. It When it hits, it is involuntary. Uh, and if you want to look at how anatomy and science explain it, what happens is, I, I, and this happens with a lot of people, they go into an immediate fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. And the physical reaction is that their neck tightens, which cuts off blood circulation to their brain. That's why they go mm. into syncope, which means passing out. Yeah. Once it starts, once I once I start to once I start to feel the chill on my skin and the and my vision starts to go a little white, it's inevitable I'm passing out. Mm-hmm. So I use that time to find a place where hopefully when I fall, I don't bang my head on something or to get myself to where I'm laying down so I don't have to worry about falling. It's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing I can do to man up that's going to change yep. that. But what yep. I can do is if I have notice that I'm going to be getting a shot or I'm going to need blood drawn or something like that, I mean, like days notice, then I can go, then I can do a meditation practice I've developed. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if I'm working with a medical professional that understands that I have this and knows how to deal with it, then they will know what to do to work with me to make the experience Actually, to the point where I, I'm actually capable of receiving injections and having blood drawn without realizing it's happening. It's because I've learned how to program my mind, and I've also learned how to assert my needs. So if yeah. I'm in, if I'm in a medical office and they try and they try and come at me with a needle and then they try and uh, bark orders at me or try and force it, I'll <laughs> say, "No, you know what? I'm not doing this." Yeah. Because see, with the, with the person who has that level of that very natural thing that an estimated 50 million people in the United States have alone, um, they could look at this vaccination thing and they say, well, let's look at the real numbers on COVID. 99.999 something percent of people survive this. At worst case scenario, they may have a little trouble breathing for the rest of their life. Uh, between that and a shot, I, I can deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, hey, yeah. hey, chances are I'm going to live. But, you know, if I die, I got to die sometime. At least I don't have to get that shot. That is an actual real thought process. Now, imagine if they had marketed that and, you know, know, in any any form of public persuasion is marketing. Uh, They they had uh, related it to gamification and video games. And they positioned it as, you know, how you play a video game and you go and pick up gifts and you level up. Yep. Imagine if they positioned that shot as leveling up or getting a power boost. Mm -hmm. You might've had people going saying, 
hey man, give me my give me my five hundred gold. Lay it yeah. on me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's super interesting to think about, and it's interesting because. I, I didn't know there were 50 million, you know, people that, um, that had that kind of diagnosis or situation. There, 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 there are degrees to it. Some are more severe than others. Mine is very severe, but that's crazy. I mean, that's like 17, 16, 70% of the, of the population. And I really had never thought about that before because I don't have a problem with needles. So for me, I just didn't think about it. That's where I yeah. love having discussions with other people, obviously uh-huh. different perspectives that, that's one one scenario I I really didn't think about. But what you're talking about, like having coming at it from a different perspective too. Um, I heard someone say the other day, which which I thought was was kind of brilliant, that it was almost like if they would have come out and said, you know what, we trust you guys, we're gonna leave it up to you. We just need to be careful. Here's here's the facts, here's what's going on, let's try and protect everyone. That message is completely different than Hey, you're a bunch of blubbering idiots. Go get the shot. You're gonna die. I just think there's two uh-huh. different two different ways to do it. Well, they um, so, yeah, yeah, they they made it about politics too. They said, oh, it's those yeah. Trump it's those Trump supporters saying don't get the vaccination because uh, yeah. Trump Trump lied about it. Well, first of all, it was the Trump administration that facilitated Operation Warp Speed and printed yep. the money to make it available and bought billions of dollars worth of vaccines in advance, yeah. e- even before they were fully developed for the market just so that the companies had the capital to expedite getting this to market by re by remapping the Ebola maps. I mean, that's, 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 that's number one. Number two, the moment the shot, the moment the shot came out, he, he recommended everybody get it. Number three, he himself has gotten the shot. Yeah. Number four, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to go by demographics and you want to buy into the thing that, uh, you know, that uh, many Trump supporters tend to be older people. Well, in my experience, at least in my circle, that actually is my experience. And yeah. I can tell you that almost all those people um, did get the vaccination or it, we'll just use that term just to make this yeah. conversation simple. And the reason is, and they, they looked at it for two reasons. Number one, they did their research and they looked at the fact that they were in a higher risk category. And they mm-hmm. said, you know what? Um, I am higher risk for COVID. I might as well stack the deck in my favor. I'm getting the shot. And some yeah. of them actually said, you know, contrary to the narrative, he said, well, wait a minute, Trump did Operation Warp Speed. Trump got us the vaccine. Trump told us to get it. So because Trump said it, I'm doing it. Yeah, it was an interesting flip. There was like a there was like a two week flip there where where yeah. it was Trump's idea. He was touting it. And then somehow it flipped. And then it was I, I don't know. It was just a weird sequence. Well, there was a lot of weird sequences. during. You, 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 had, you had Kamala Harris say during the vice presidential debate, if Trump tells me to get the vaccine, I ain't getting it. And then the yeah. moment it was available, uh, she made a big show of making sure the media knew that she had cut to the front of the line based on her privilege to be the first one to get the shot in her arm. What changed in the meantime? Biden won the election. Yeah. And I think that's that's the point where I realized I lost all faith in government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not making a political statement there. I'm going to facts where you can roll the tape. Yeah, no, I know. So I see let's it, bring yeah. so let's bring this back to entrepreneurs, and um, yeah. and even though we haven't been talking specifically about failure uh, for the past 20, 30 minutes, what I the reason I wanted to have this conversation the way it went is because it illustrates some of the underlying things that determine what may pre- be perceived as right or wrong that we don't yeah. think about consciously because the words right, wrong, success, failure are not mm-hmm. explicitly attached to them. Yeah. But let's bring this back to entrepreneurs. Now, how does being a professional failure, as you call yourself, and I love that, by the way, yeah. help you 
with, and this is what our listeners love to hear about, stewarding money and investments? Yeah, no, I think that's such a good question. So, so for me, when it comes to money, if I'm thinking about becoming or being a professional failure, the thing is, I'm going to lose money. I'm not going to make the right choice all the time. So I've lost, I've invested in stupid cryptocurrencies. I've invested in the stock market. I've done really dumb things. And again, it goes back to, you know what? I'm not going to be perfect, but uh, maybe there's like an 80, 20 scale or a percentage there where 80% of the time I want to be right. There's 20% of the time I'm going to be wrong, even when it comes to money finances. So instead of beating myself up and, you know, I lose $10,000 on some stupid crypto scam or whatever it is. I, 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 uh, I did, I did crypto. I made $3,000. I should have sold. And then, uh, and then, and then it got wiped out. So go ahead. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people that they've, you know, they've put money in and when they put a hundred dollars in, went all the way up to 10,000 and then it went back down to 200. So there's, it's a wild ride, but again, like instead of just beating yourself up and saying, you know, Oh, I didn't, I didn't sell then, or I didn't do this, or I lost money. Instead of saying that, just say, you know what? I didn't make the right decision. What can I do better in the future? And I think that's what um, being a professional failure kind of goes back to is just navigating through failures and not beating yourself up. So success obviously can look, you know, different, but the point of navigating failures is to not repeat them. Um, yeah. so that to me, I'm not looking at, I'm not going out. I'm trying, I'm not trying to fail constantly. I just know when I do fail because I am going to, but when I do, I'm going to try and learn from it and I'm not going to let it sit on me and think, well, I can't do this because I'm an idiot or I can't do this because I'm not, I'm just too dumb. I'm not smart enough. Um, I think that's, that's the overall goal is just like, go out, do things. You're going to mess up. You're going to be bad at first, even when it comes to money, uh, you're not going to invest. You're going to chase a shiny object sometimes, but you know what? Action is the best medicine sometimes and take notes along the way and, and learn from your mistakes. Well, there's, there's, there's two thoughts I have on that. Um, you've probably heard, you've probably heard the statement, either you earn or you learn. Yeah. I like to say you either earn or you learn either way you earn. Yeah. Love it. Uh, and, and also think of a professional boxer or a UFC fighter or an MMA fighter. Uh, they get good at their craft by getting beat up. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, I mean, you can, you can do drills with your coach and uh, practice in the mirror as much as you want. But the only thing that's going to get you good at blocking blows from your opponent or getting pinned down or getting tapped out Mm -hmm. is getting tapped out and learning how to counterman that to get yourself out of the situation, to avoid the hit, to avoid being tapped out. And, you know, with boxers, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, I mean, you actually have to get in the ring and box and work with other fighters, um, either your skill level, maybe even above your skill level. In fact, above your skill level is recommended when you're learning. Yeah. Uh, yeah you will take a few punches in the nose and, uh, and yep. what, what you're going to get really good at is how to protect your, how to block those punches of the nose yeah. and also to learn to read your opponent's body language to anticipate the moves they're going to make. You're not yeah. going to get that education sparring in the mirror or spar or doing drills with your coach. You're going to get that by in real time saying, oh, this is how I get punched in the nose. Oh, it happened a second. Yeah. Oh, it happened a third time. Exactly. All right. So, okay. So I noticed that the three times it happened, he did this with his arm mm-hmm. just before he threw that punch. So when I yeah. see that, I got to do this with this arm or I got to move yeah. my body this way, or maybe I got to come in with this hook. 
to beat yeah. them to the punch, literally. Yep. No, I, I love it. And I love that analogy too. And then even coming back to like, to money, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they asked about, you know, what they, the first thing they could do investment wise and all this. And, and I've kind of been noting and journaling about this, but I basically said, um, and I'm in the country, so I'm blessed to be able to do this, but the best thing, uh, looking back that I ever did to learn about investing and making money was to just simply plant a garden. Um, yeah. and it's like, if you, if you can look at, at making money, investing as a slow pace, like a garden, like you plant a seed, nothing's there. It doesn't look like anything's happening. Keep watering it. Eventually you start seeing something. And then once it gets to a certain stage, it just takes off and it blossoms and you get fruit and all this. And the other thing is sometimes like you, you, like I, you do everything right. And a freaking deer comes along and eats your garden or a rabbit. Uh-huh. And it's like, you can do or everything groundhog. right. Or, or Groundhog. Groundhog. We, we exactly. got to mention, I'm the author of Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. We got yes. to get groundhogs in there. I Yes. I have had many groundhogs that I've had to chase. I actually had one the other day that was didn't see me, and I jumped out and scared it, and I think it almost pooped itself. So Well, you're well, you're, well, you're, you're lucky the groundhog didn't bite you. They're fierce little bastards. Um, they are fierce. Now, 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 here's, a, now, here's, now, now here's another <laughs> funny thing about groundhogs. On the one hand, their burrows weaken the surface and uh, you hear these stories of farmers that are driving along in their tractor and all of a sudden their tractor tips over because they ran under a a shallow groundhog burrow now and then you also hear about the groundhogs eating the vegetables on the other hand did you know that once a groundhog digs their burrow first of all they're digging hundreds of pounds of soil those groundhog burrows are huge that soil gets spread around and fertilizes it leads to better crops that's that's item number one. Item number two is groundhogs are itinerant. Uh, they'll build a burrow and live there for one season, and then they'll go dig another one. So uh, that leaves that leaves they basically just leave an abandoned house on the market. Who moves yeah. into that burrow? Fox. Your, your other predators like yeah. rabbits. Yeah. And so the more the rabbits are hanging out in a groundhog burrow, the less they're eating your carrots. Interesting. I never yeah. thought about that. That's a good point. I have so many, so much to learn about groundhogs because I see them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So we're actually at the top of the hour here. Um, I'd like to keep this going for another hour, but unfortunately, we do yeah. have entrepreneurial lives. No, let me, uh, awesome. yeah, let me extend your invitation to our audience. Um, go to www.professional-failure.com. So it's professional failure with a hyphen between the two words. And when you go to that website. Uh, you'll see the opportunity to buy the book Professional Failure, which I've picked up a Kindle version of already. It's on Amazon, BNN, Apple Books, IndieBound. Uh, and then you can also discover more about Justin's Professional Failure podcast. You can uh, see uh, some of his other work in media and speaking. Uh, he has a great blog uh, I'm going to take a look at later. And you can connect with him as well. So Go to that website, www.professional-failure.com, and do check it out. Uh, I trust you find something that Justin shared with you has been of some interest, and hopefully it did something to move the needle. With that, Justin Skinner, thank you for being with us today. It's been an honor. Believe me in education. Adam, thanks so much. It's been such a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.